Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. My co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate, has this week off. Congratulations to the father of the bride, and also congratulations to Brent and Alicia Young. So for this episode, we also have a very special guest joining me. One of the bands that I enjoy and have seen live now six times is the Virginia-based band Carbon Leaf. So please welcome to the podcast guitarist Terry Clark. Hello, how you guys doing? I want to give my congratulations to the to the bride and groom, and if they don't work forever young into their wedding playlist somewhere, maybe first dance, then I don't. I, there's no there's no hope for them. Absolutely. <laughs> Premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast, I have to ask the all-important question. So, Terry, what T-shirt are you wearing? I'm actually wearing a Grateful Dead Steal Your Face um, Virginia shirt. So it looks like the state of Virginia, but it's a Grateful Dead Steal Your Face design that my sister-in-law's sister makes down in North Carolina. So she does a, a whole line of North Carolina Grateful Dead stuff that she sells at shows and uh, has a little Etsy store. And then she made a, a couple of one-off Virginia things for for me and some of the dudes here. So I'm proudly wearing my sister-in-law's uh, Virginia Dead shirt. Very cool. Very cool. Now, are you a deadhead? Uh, I wouldn't consider myself a deadhead. And um. And I haven't seen the newest uh, incarnation of Dead and Friends with John Mayer, although I've heard, uh, you know, beyond that 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 it, they're really really good these days, and John Mayer's killing it, which is awesome. I'm not a huge John Mayer fan, so I'm not sure if I can just even get. I'm having trouble with the idea of it still, but I I heard that even Dodd and the Wool Deadheads are are you know fans, so. I would love to give it a shot sometime, but I saw, you know, maybe 12 shows back in the day, starting kind of 89 through the mid nineties there. Always had fun when they came to the area. And, and I, I feel like you probably did the quotation marks when you said fun. <laughs> Sometimes more fun than others, but yes, <laughs> big quotation marks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, and, I did hear you guys, you guys played a couple of years ago, a medley of Rolling Stones, Grateful Dead, Shakedown Street, and Pink Floyd's uh, Another Brick in the Wall. So I guess you you kind of do have that uh, Grateful Dead vibe. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm definitely a fan. That was kind of a weird uh, medley that you heard because we were actually getting ready to um, set sail on the rock boat and one of the they always do a theme music night on the rock boat and that particular one it was um, disco um, and yep. we did not want to do an actual disco tune so we looked for fringe disco so it was like shakedown streets kind of passable disco dead you know, it's that era, same thing with uh, Miss You by the Rolling Stones. It's that definitely those uh, those uh, disco production values were, were, you know, sucked into those tunes. So we decided to kind of disco them up a little bit more and, and bust those out. 
instead of going full Saturday Night Fever. Let's let's be honest. Miss You is totally a disco song. Yeah, and Shakedown Street is too. I mean, you know, so it, yeah. it worked out well. And then we just kind of devolved into uh, another brick in the wall because the, the the key worked and the groove worked and we were kind of there already and we figured we might as well just throw it in at that point. We already we already six minutes. We might as well add another couple of Pink Floyd minutes there too. So so yeah, we only did that a couple a couple times. So we did it in Florida on the way down to to Miami when we left on the rock boat. So you you caught I think one of three times that we played that. <laughs> nice. Well, I I I feel lucky. I feel feel very blessed that I got to see it. That was one of our favorite moments of seeing you guys. We we really enjoyed that medley. That was really cool stuff. Awesome. Um, so um, I have to tell you what T-shirt I'm wearing. So I'm wearing a recent addition to my collection that I obtained at Skipper's Smokehouse a few months ago. Um, so I'm wearing a carbon leaf T-shirt, in fact. And I know that it's typically not cool to wear a shirt of the band that you're going to see live in concert. And it's probably not cool to wear the shirt of the band that I'm podcasting about, but I don't care. So so tell tell me your your thoughts on fans who wear carbon leaf shirts to your shows are you, are you cool with that totally cool with that we think our theory is that uh that was a trend in the 90s and early 2000s of not wearing you can't wear this shirt to the show uh i think that has um come back around as all fashion trends do and now it, it is in fact ironically cool to wear the shirt of the band to the show or while you're podcasting with the band so you're in. Cool. I'm in. Very you're cool. In. Before we jump into talking about Carbon Leaf, so we've been asking all of our guests um, because my co-host Wayne, um, he got scrutinized a few weeks ago from uh, one of our guests because Wayne hates Toto's Africa. So, so tell me, Toto's Africa, good or bad song? Um. It's good. It's a great pop okay. song, you know, deceivingly tough to play and 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 sing and stuff. So it's one of those songs that uh, it's a it's a it's a great tune. All right, Wayne, I get another mark on my side of the uh, of the board. So um, you are definitely losing in this race. That that said, it may have worn out its welcome at this point. You know, like like all great tracks. Sometimes you get sick of hearing, uh, uh, you know, Africa, particularly Weezer's yeah. version of Africa. I don't really need to hear Weezer's version again. So, our last guest that we had on, Caroline Spence. Um, so she said, "No, I'm I'm sick of it." So he got a check in hit on on his side of the fence for for that. But to to your point, she only said that that because. She's sick of it, so it's yeah. been played so many times. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I got we were talking before the the podcast started that I kind of Alexa let me down with my class. I was trying to get Alexa to play a classic metal playlist for me today, and it just kept reverting to Led Zeppelin. And I heard a bunch of deep cuts, but then you heard a bunch of tunes. It's like, man, I don't know. You know, you don't need to hear Black Dog or Stairway to Heaven or even like whole lot of love again, 
you know, it's like there's so many other great tunes. And it's not saying that those aren't definitively great songs. You're just sick of them, you know? Yeah. Give me Rain song, you know? <laughs> exactly. All of Zeppelin, please. Of... <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Give me Immigrant song. We're good with that. This maybe immigrant song probably been played a lot, right? I feel like I feel like it's very topical these days. Yeah. 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 All right. So um, typically the episodes that we do, we let our guests choose which records to revisit. Uh, but we have had a few guests on where I've wanted to revisit one of their records, and this episode is going to follow that format. Since I want to uh, talk to you all about Indian Summer. Um, and we'll talk about Indian Summer Revisited as well. Um, but first, uh, I do have to give you guys a little props about the name of my podcast. So it's called Records Revisited. And I haven't told anyone that part of the inspiration of the name comes from Indian Summer Revisited. I just liked the revisited uh, theme. So, um, so don't sue me for copyright infringement or anything. I promise to... Uh, to keep seeing you guys live when you come to Central Florida as part of that arrangement. So, yeah, I just wanted to to to, to throw that out as far as the origins of of our uh, podcast name. That's awesome. Thanks, man. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And as as I mentioned off air, so my co-host uh, uh, he indicated that if he had participated in this episode, he probably wouldn't have contributed much. I haven't been able to to help him catch the carbon leaf fever. And we kind of meant to do an essential carbon leaf episode. Uh, we've done that in the past where I'll pick, you know, my my 12 favorite songs by an artist. Wayne then listens to them and he's become like a not a surf fan because of that. And we were hoping to do one of those type of uh episodes, but we end up scheduling a ton of guests instead and and um I think maybe I did a disservice to Wayne by describing your band. I, I said you guys were Celtic rock, and his reply after listening to Indian Summer was, so I needed more flogging Molly and less vertical horizon. And I'm not sure if if I or, or you guys should take offense to that particular comment. Um, what, what, what do you think about that comment? Well, I, you know, when you go in with the expectation, when when we're described as Celtic rock, and then you hand them Indian Summer, which isn't necessarily a, a very Celtic rock album, there's, a, a, you know, a little, very little bit, but that was a decidedly less Celtic album compared to the previous album, Echo Echo, which had the boxer and yeah. desperation song and stuff. And we that sound just wasn't resonating with us as much there. So I would definitely say, I, I'm not sure Vertical Horizons, the band I would go with, but I could see that. And and if your expectation is, ah, I'm getting ready to hear, you know, Dropkick Murphys or Flogging Molly or the Pogues or even, you know, Gaelic Storm or, or somebody like that. And, and then you, you hit them with Life Less Ordinary or Gray Sky Eyes, they're going to, they're going to wonder where, where the Celtic thunder is, you know? So I, I'm, 
I totally get it. So you would have to pick a, yeah, I, I agree with you. You're going to have to do a, an intervention playlist, I would call it. Go ahead and do your, an intervention, you know, and hit them with some of like Ghost Dragon Attacks Castle, some of the Echo Echo yep. stuff, you know, you can kind of pick and choose. You can do a full Celtic playlist, but, you know, I don't know that I would do that either. The, the, the thing when, you know, when, when somebody asks us to describe our sound and they're like, oh, are you a Celtic band? You know, we kind of cringe a little bit, but, you know, not fully because it's definitely a sound that we embrace, but it's just a little part of our sound. It's not, you know, we're not billing ourselves as a, a you know, a Floggy Molly or Dropkick Murphys. It's, you know, we're just carbon right. leaf. We like a lot of different styles of music and, and aren't afraid to experiment with you know, Americana and roots and country and bluegrass and Celtic and pop straight ahead, pop and and rock stuff as well. So it, it, it all kind of blends together. And then some songs are, you know, a little more Americana. Some songs a little more Irish. Some songs are, you know, straight down the middle. So, yeah, it. I think, I think part of it was my laziness because it's it, to, to your point, trying to describe the the sound of carbon leaf it has all those things so we're we're talking americano we're talking roots we've got you know some irish um things going on but you know i think that there is if you yeah, if you just if say that you're a rock band yeah if you just say we're a rock band i think that there's there's also some some misconceptions that they may have of oh well they don't really sound like zeppelin you know going back to what you were talking about with the band that you were exactly exactly or or same is true with you know americana oh they're an americana band based on you know if you're listening to a, our most recent ep gathering or constellation prize you know say oh they're you know a little bit more rootsy americana band and then you actually listen to a bunch of other stuff you go well no they're not you know but they are, <laughs> they are, Yeah. but that's, you know, not all they are. So, so let's talk about some of the, the music that you guys made before Indian summer. So to that point of Indian summer, you know, really was, I won't say it was a departure from echo echo, but it was, it definitely was more, you know, adult alternative. And I think that that was still kind of a thing in 2004. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was just going to say my introduction to you all didn't come from, you know, Echo Echo or Ether Electrified Porch Music or anything like that. That really came from hearing Life Less Ordinary on a radio station that was called The Mountain in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and that was back back in 2004 when, when there still was some of those kind of formats um, on the radio and, and there are very few of them still around. And, and I was writing album reviews for the now defunct website called CD reviews. Um, so after I heard life less ordinary and liked it, I reached out to the label rep, got a copy of the CD, gave you guys a good review, by the way, if you, if you needed to know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then from there, I saw you guys open up for big head Todd and the monsters and, you know, kind of the rest is 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 history since then. But I I always gravitate to bands that are not afraid to kind of change their sound if they're into something else. So if you're into you know more roots rock, 
and that's kind of the vibe that you're feeling right now, you know, go for it. So I, you know, I, I, I hold, I hold no uh, ill feelings for, for bands that decide, you know, we're, we're going to just kind of switch it up for this next record. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Luckily our fans kind of feel the same and have been very supportive, you know, as we, bounce around with our schizophrenic you know musical styles and, and nothing nothing wrong with that as well i i will say going back to some of the previous you know, records before indian summer i don't think i've ever heard any song from your first album live is that fair to say that that's kind of by design um you know we we i think we've played it you know a song or two off it you know, maybe once or twice in the last five, six, seven years, something like that, just for really special occasion shows, you know, it's, there are a couple of, you know, a few decent songs on the, on the record, but really it was really us. It was our, our first, not just our first record. It was really us becoming a band, becoming musicians, becoming songwriters. It was our first everything. You know, not just, oh, you know, bunch of seasoned musicians going into the studio and making their first record. It was us figuring out how to do everything. It was really, it was most of us, this was our first, you know, first band. It, w- it wasn't like we played at a bunch of other stuff. We were still figuring out how to write songs, how to play our instruments, how to produce stuff in the studio, how to do everything. So you know there's a couple of cool things on there there's a bunch of stuff like i'm sure that you know every time we think about it we're like wow we should go back and revisit that like we've been revisiting some stuff because there's a couple of cool nuggets that could be modernized into the you know carbon leaf vernacular where we've kind of changed sounds and morphed and at that point we were just kind of mimicking all the stuff that we were listening to at the time which was early 90s you know red hot chili peppers and pearl jam grateful dead widespread panic all that stuff kind of jumbled in together and and yeah doing, doing our best impressions kind of at those things and, and you know and it slowly evolved the next song the next out and I, I don't think there are any acoustic guitars on that that and there's certainly no penny whistles or mandolins or cellos or fiddles or <laughs> anything like that it's 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 right. two it's two electric guitars electric bass drums vocals you know it's a it's a straight ahead rock band you know playing straight ahead rock you know now, i don't know that it's straight ahead rock music but that was sort of what we were at that point and then the next album you know had a few more acoustic guitars um and, and a few different kind of songs and then the, the third album which is ether electrified porch music really was our first where i think we had sort of started to develop our own sound at that point where carter had gotten a mandolin and we wrote a couple songs based around the mandolin and the acoustic guitars and a new bass player who played upright bass and things were things were changing kind of how we wrote songs and how we approached songs at that point so then by the time we made it to echo echo which was our fourth record which you know had the the boxer and um a few other songs that we still really still play you know almost every night live even though that that album came out in 
18 years ago now is really when we kind of fell into our own at that point. The boxers grow weary, their eyesight blurry. with that in fact the the notes i've got on here is so i've been i've been re-listening to some of the catalog and i'm pretty sure i'm going to have to have you guys back on to talk about echo echo <laughs> because <laughs> I, I i feel like i feel like with ether electrified that that's kind of where the celtic roots started to exhibit themselves but echo echo is really where that was you guys were fully embracing that 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 sound and well yeah um, not to you know we could save the conversation for for the echo echo show but um the first three records we recorded at a studio that i was um had just gotten a job at after i graduated college and was basically a glorified intern emptied the trash and went to fedex and made coffee and stuff like that and then they allowed me to kind of experiment at night sort of how you, the old school of uh, figuring oh, yeah. out how, how to be a recording engineer is you could screw up your own recordings at night <laughs> and the off hours. So the first records, the first three records were basically that, me begging the guys I work for help and assistance and guidance, figuring it out in the middle of the night. And then when we got to uh, Echo Echo, we decided that if we wanted to step things up, we should try to work with a, a producer. So we enlisted the uh, the help of a, a local producer named John Moran, who had a studio called Sound of Music, still has a studio called Sound of Music uh, here in Richmond. He was partners with David Lowry from Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven. And we went in just with the boxer as sort of a demo song. We were like, we don't know what this is going to be like. We've never worked with anybody before. Let's uh, let's go spend a day with John Moran and bring in the boxer and see how things go and see if this is something that we think will benefit us. And after, you know, at the end of one day, it was just astonishing this the the stuff that you know in hindsight you know you look back and like well of course that's that's really simple it makes all the all the sense in the world you know something like oh slow it down you know emphasize the groove a little more to quit playing it on a double kick why don't we move it to the toms and make the groove a little sexier for those you know and a little little less you know metal sounding and Boy, at the end of the day, it really sounded, you know, clearly the same song, but a thousand times better and in a way better direction. So we, you know, all just looked at each other and said, wow, this is, let's make a record. And he, so he coined a term, uh, let's, di let's, <laughs> let's dial up, let's, uh, you know, where we can, let's emphasize the, the Hobbit rock. He called it Hobbit rock. For, okay. Uh, <laughs> so how how are we going to get a little bit more hobbit into uh 
enter the boxer, you know? So he was uh, do like, oh, let's see if we can open tune a mandolin and play double the acoustic guitar part with an open tune mandolin and give it some of that ringy stringy thing that would dial up the Hobbit, uh, Hobbit rock effect on it. So that's, that's where kind of, you know, his, He's not, you know, definitely not a Celtic musician, but he was good at helping us, you know, focus our direction on those songs. So for a song like Mary Mac, he just said, dial a, dial the Hobbit rock to 10, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to revisit that again because my, my, my favorite Carbon Leaf song is On Any Given Day. I just feel like that is the 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 perfect song wow and and one of these one one of these days you guys are going to have to play maybe today i don't know if you i've i've looked at a few of your set lists i don't know if you guys have played that in forever probably because it's a 10 and a half minute song but we actually um, played it we actually played it two weeks ago yeah someone requested it somewhere and we we actually busted it out and uh yeah we played it i think we played it twice and this last little, we had a little three-week um, mini tour here in April, and it, it made the set list at least once, I think twice. But yeah, thanks. That's a that's another kind of deep cut. Another one, John Miranda is like into into you know stretching out and having some fun with, and not not trying to fit it into a box, you know, because he 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 yeah. also he also produced uh, Indian Summer, so we went back to him after uh, Echo Echo did well and the success of the boxer, we went back to Sound of Music and John Moran and then enlisted uh, David Lowry from Cracker. Like I mentioned before, he was a partner there at the studio. David uh, executive produced Indian Summer. That was a lot of fun to have his, his input as well on, you know, maybe three or four songs where he really dove in and, and helped a bunch. So let's let's go back, uh, you know, kind of to the start. So I know you guys got really your start being a cover band. You were kind of the the, the frat rock band, if I if I remember correctly from other interviews that I've heard. It did that kind of have a a bearing on a, a, those first couple records that you guys were more used to playing other people's stuff as opposed to you know coming up with your own material sure yeah well well, we started we were in college uh and we went to a little tiny school called randolph macon college in ashland virginia there's only a thousand people on campus and only a handful of musicians and everybody knew everybody so you know everybody shared the bands all shared members and carter's like come over and jam and then i was like ah i know this guy barry we should get him to sing and you know, well, all right, this is cool. We have a handful of songs. Let's learn 20 more songs and then we can play, you know, so-and-so's house party, you know, off campus. So we learned a handful of covers enough to play a couple of hours and, and then, and kind of went from there. We, we didn't, we didn't really have any designs on writing music. It wasn't a goal. Uh, Music as a career wasn't a goal. There was no there was nothing other than let's, you know, let's learn some songs and go have some fun. Let's go drink beer with our friends and, and play loud music. 
what comprised some of your set list? Oh, well, um, is it too far? We, is it too far? Is it no, too far in the past to, no, to remember that? No, it, we have like, uh, I remember starting, we remember starting off with a, uh, a girl like you from, uh, the smithereens and, and yeah, then and then and messing it up and having to restart it. It was like our first song on our first show. <laughs> <laughs> messing up the girl like you, playing. Uh, you know, we played almost uh, probably half of Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, played some Nirvana, played some Pearl Jam, some Neil Young, some Grateful Dead, some Widespread. I'm trying to remember what else would be kind of you know this was at 93 so if you can kind of picture yeah college band in 93 what what you you know what you think they would be playing and and that's pretty much what we played <laughs> gotcha one thing that we've we've done a lot of as far as the records that we've discussed is just in this short history alone we've talked a lot about debut records so you know we've we've covered counting crows we've we've talked about gnr's first record we've talked about beastie boys first record so there's been a lot of debut records that we've talked about and one thing that i've noticed with you guys is i felt like you finally caught your groove in like you know album three album four i i think to your point and not, and not to be you know, critical or, or, um, throwing, throwing any over analysis, which I'm, I'm opt to do, um, is that it, it, it took you guys a little while to kind of figure out how to be, how to be songwriters. Is that, yeah. is that valid? It, it is valid. And so, you know, it's funny when you, you think of a, a typical, what you used to call like a debut album might be, you know, like you said, you heard discovered us on the radio. A debut album would be a major record release by somebody. So say it's RCA Records or Universal or somebody releases a record, and that's the first that you know most of the world heard of it. But probably the band has spent a few years cutting demos, releasing maybe mixtapes, you know, on on underground, and kind that's kind of where we were. We were you know we our first record Meander was basically a demo tape it was to get gigs and technology yeah. had just had just changed to the point where cds were cheaper than cassettes and you know cds and digital is you know forever so you get to hear the warts and all growth of us with those early 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 records but then you know to, there's a couple of eras of carbon leaf most people a lot of people consider Indian Summer our first record because like you, they heard it on the mountain in Seattle, right. you know, or, you know, cities in, in Minneapolis or um, K-Fog, you know, there were a bunch, like you said, there was at, at that time, there was a, a really strong AAA radio format around the country. And we were really lucky to have, um, some success with some of those stations you know most of the world which is you know most of our world i'll say because our world is is pretty small and it's definitely not most of the world but uh, uh you know i would say 
the lion's share of carbonly fans sort of joined the ranks after Indian Summer because they they discovered us on the radio as our debut record, you know, on a record label. So it was being pushed, you know, at, you know, Borders Books and Music and um, Tower Records and all those places, you know, in caps, a marketing budget. So basically you've got eight years before that kind of leading up to that debut record of us with our training wheels on figuring out how to do things on our own, so to speak. But then all of a sudden it's the overnight success that took eight years, you know, to, to get there. <laughs> right. Man, are we dating ourselves with tower records and borders books? We, references? Abs- we absolutely are. And I, and I even dropped cassette tape demo tapes. We used to, you know, our, yeah, our literally right. our, our first, uh, our first four songs, which were we re-recorded on um, Meander, our first album, we uh, we used to hand out of demo cassette tapes at shows for free. We used to duplicate them in our little apartment by ourselves, slap stickers on them, and hand out cassette tapes. And it was, you know, it just became the cassettes were outdated finally in the mid '90s, and it was cheaper to buy a, a thousand CDs. And then we were lucky enough to actually sell them, you know, and we, we reordered <laughs> a, another thousand CDs. When I called the CD manufacturer, the guy, the guy said, what? Nobody ever reorders and we never sell more. <laughs> everybody, everybody just buys a thousand CDs and they never get rid of, they get rid of a hundred of them. They're stuck with 900 of these things in their garage. We were lucky enough that, uh, we were starting to build a fan base and people actually bought them. So, so how did you guys get signed to Vanguard? So how was that jumping from echo echo to getting Indian summer done? Uh, uh, well, a couple of things happened pre Indian summer that, that made Indian summer um, possible. So it started with, you know, hooking up with John Moran and recording echo echo and having it really resonate with people uh, the more than any of our previous albums had. Uh, and then we had a couple of breakthrough moments with uh, the song The Boxer, where it, it was on a Pontiac Vibe commercial. It won a Pontiac ad contest. And then it also won an, an American Music Award. We were the, the first winners of the Coca-Cola New Music Award So we on the American Music Awards. We got to play on the American Music Awards in 2002 in between uh, Lenny Kravitz and Cher. And we we're introduced by Sheryl Crow and, you know, got to play on live TV. And it was kind of a big, kind of a big thing at the time. Um, and and that really opened some doors for us. And we had a few stations around the country that, that just picked up the boxer and started playing it without any kind of promotion, without a label. You know, at that point, it was just us. It was, we, we came home from the American Music Awards and the phone was ringing off the hook and we're FedExing, you know, albums out as fast as we could. And then, you know, we, we, we won some money from this Pontiac commercial and we put all of that money towards recording Indian Summer. So after we, you know, we toured behind Echo Echo and in between tours, we jumped in the studio with John Moran and David Lowry and 
worked on Indian Summer, and then we'd run out of money, and then we'd go on tour again, and then we'd come back with a little bit more money, and we'd record till we ran out of money. <laughs> then we'd go on tour again, and then we finally had a had a had a record, and we got a. I think we had a manager that solicited a entertainment lawyer then to shop the album around. So we looked at a, a few different labels and we settled on Vanguard Records. So at that point, we had recorded Indian Summer completely on our own and then basically shopped the, the record around until we got the deal that we, we wanted and liked and we really liked Vanguard. And so they, they licensed uh, Indian Summer from us. Okay. And so how many other records did they also license from you all? The, then we uh, did two more records with them. We did uh, Love, Loss, Hope, Repeat and Nothing Rhymes with Woman. But those were those were full regular record deal kind of records. So we recorded them when they, they paid us in advance and all that stuff to make those records. So to kind of explain to me because I, I haven't been fully able to understand. So you guys re-recorded all three of those albums. What was the reasoning behind that? So Vanguard owns what's called the Masters. So even though okay. we, rec we recorded Indian Summer on our own, they basically bought the Masters from us. Gotcha. And so they own those recordings of those songs. But after I forget how many years went by, the contract got aged to a point where the song rights came back to us. So we own the intellectual property of the songs like Indian Summer, uh, all the songs on Indian Summer, Love, Loss, Hope, Repeat, and, and Nothing Around as a Woman. We just don't, don't own those particular recordings. So in order to take back control of the records, we re-recorded them under our own banner and release them ourselves. So now if you want to hear okay. Life Less Ordinary, we would hopefully get paid as opposed to Vanguard getting paid. Or if you wanted gotcha. to or if you wanted to license Life Less Ordinary for your TV show, movie or commercial, you would reach out to us directly and we could cut out the middleman. It also allowed us, particularly with uh Love, Lost, Hope, Repeat, and Nothing Grimes with Woman to change the albums slightly to, to you know, make improvements where we weren't happy with the way that those albums came out. They were recorded quickly and some of the stuff was perfect. Some of it was not. So we, <laughs> so the stuff that we were like, nah, that never really worked for me. We went ahead and changed it. We, did, we didn't feel like we were beholden to recreate note for note, sound for sound. Love, Loss, Hope, Repeat, and Nothing Rhymes with Woman. Life, uh, Life Less Ordinary and all the Indian summer songs, though, we spent, you know, months going through with a fine-tooth comb, really trying to recreate those as faithfully as we could, you know, because they have a, that, that, that album particularly has a very distinct vibe to it that we wanted to try to recapture. Yeah, I felt like the other, the other two records that you re-recorded, you guys kind of did i think a little reworking and i, and I kind of got the vibe that uh this is how you wanted it to sound 
Yeah, and because because we were in a hurry, and because of also because we were working with a, a record label and a producer on some of those things that that were our opinions differed, but we kind of deferred to them because they were the professionals. You know, we thought, oh, they must know what's right, and then at the end of the day, didn't didn't love the way it turned out. You know, so we we felt like we could go back and make it ours. And as a fan, the only thing I can say on those re, re, reworkings of Love, Loss, Hope, Repeat is, um, yeah, the the name of the song really should have been Dirty Bird. <laughs> Always. Always. I mean, Learn to Fly, that's that's all fine and good, but come on, Dirty Bird, that's that totally... That totally says it all on that song, I think. But well, to fill the listeners in, we we the song was originally called "Dirty Bird," and then the the radio guy from the record label said, "I can't sell a song called Dirty Bird." We you know going out to radio stations, no one's going to want to listen to that. How about we call it "Learn to Fly"? That's a very non-threatening name, and I can sell that. And we said, "Okay, fine. If you can sell it, go for it. We'll change it." Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Some sometimes they're right, most times they're wrong. Um, we we did an episode uh, way early in our in our podcast where we talked about Journey, Journey uh, and the album Frontiers, and they purposely left off off of Frontiers the song "Only the Young" because they hmm. didn't they didn't feel like it was a good enough song to be on Frontiers. How how stupid was that decision? I mean, that's that's one of Journey's trademark songs, I think. But record label guys, not always not always accurate. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know. Well, let's let's jump in. Let's jump in track by track for for Indian Summer. I know that we've we've I took you way down the history and the rabbit holes. So um, sorry, kind of took us off uh, off track here. But that's let's all talk good. About, Let's talk about each of the songs on here. So, Life Less Ordinary. about a week ago i would have said i kind of like the original better but now i don't really even hear many of the differences did did you do did you try and stay true to form on that on that song or did you kind of switch it up a little bit the the idea was to stay true to form on that song so we we actually got the original multi-tracks from sound of music so that we could listen to each individual track and and hear what was going on, um, re- recreate it as faithfully as we could. Um, so the idea was to to get as close as we as we can 
but you know, if there was something we could make slightly better tonally than we would, but the idea was to have it sound pretty darn close to the original. Well, I do like the harmony part better, the the honey understand part in the revisited version better. So um, I think maybe I'm, I just gave a shout out to John with uh, with saying that, right? To on the revisited. Yeah. Yeah, that's all Barry. Uh, oh, Barry? that's all Barry. Well, uh, Barry, I think I uh, I probably sang the part that you're hearing, but the way. Um, especially on all the new stuff that we've recorded probably the last eight or nine years. Um, Barry records guide tracks for all the harmony parts and he'll, and, and in the process, he's experimenting a whole bunch. So he'll have the tracks will actually be labeled Terry, John Carter, Jesse, but he'll okay. be singing, he'll be singing what he envisions Terry would sing what I would sing on, you know, my range, but he, he's picking out exactly what he wants me to sing so that when I actually do go to sing it, I usually just sit down by myself and follow the roadmap. Exactly. Exactly. And if I mess up, if I change a note, he knows, he, he, he's like, that's not what I wrote. You're singing right. the wrong. You dumbed it down, and I was like, "Oh, I'm saying it. I sang an easier version of it. It's better." He's like, "Nope, you gotta sing the, gotta sing exactly what's there." So he 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 actually records guide tracks. Sometimes we sneak in those guide tracks too. So if it's like a huge chorus, you might hear five berries plus Terry Carter, gotcha. John, and Jesse. You know. Okay. Okay. That's interesting uh, production stuff. Um, all right, so let's let's talk lyrics a little bit. I'm I'm assuming Barry wrote the lyrics to this. Yeah. So the way that the the way that we, especially back in that uh, era, we write the music first, and we record a loose arrangement of it, and we give it to to Barry. He puts it on his you know phone or his iPod or his computer, and and then when the the winds speak to him. He has, uh, he can write <laughs> lyrics to those, um, you know, songs. And sometimes they're simple chord progressions and acoustic guitar. Sometimes it's full blown, the band jamming in a room together. Sometimes it's sound check, you know, a variety of different ways. And, and at this point he has, you know, several hundred of these songs snippets that he's still pulls from. So all of this, all of the songs on Indian Summer, music was written ahead of time, and then he wrote lyrics. Barry wrote lyrics to them, and then we got back got together and and then kind of figured out how the arrangement should work. You know, if things change versus, you know, he would come back and say, "Oh, I like this." chorus but i didn't like this bridge so i've changed something plus i needed to change a chord in the verse so my melody could do this and i you know it's shorter now and we'll say oh this sounds good but maybe you maybe you the note that you're singing here maybe you, you actually want to be singing this note with this chord might be better and it kind of goes through three stages the music stage the lyric phase and then all put it all together as a band in, in a room stage and then that album and then that album also you know had the input of john Morand and david lowry as well 
So Life Less Ordinary was a late, late addition to the album. We were doing pre-production um, at the studio I was working at at the time called um, In Your Ear. And our bass player just started, at, uh, Jordan Metis, just started playing that riff, the intro riff. And Barry's eyes lit up and he said, oh, my God, keep playing that. What is that? You know, and we qu quickly, the rest of the band joined in and we slapped together a demo and he went home and wrote words to it and came back. The next day, I think we had a song, which is remarkably fast and as far as Carbon Leaf songs go isn't that remarkable how some of the some of the the best songs come together that quickly yeah 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 it was pretty amazing let's talk lyrics so shook the bones of me is one of my favorite lines of your guys's of all time where where did he come up with that particular line oh yeah so we might be getting into weird territory here where i'm don't know <laughs> i don't actually have any idea and i haven't asked him you know we you know haven't we've been playing the song forever but i've never asked him where where he got that particular line from okay well i, I might have some follow-up questions for you all then because I, I think a, a few of my other questions are lyrically driven as well so I, for instance what is the complex toy that you're referring to and I've had this debate before with a friend. I always we're picture pretty sure that... a Rubik's cube in my head when we're singing, when we're when we're playing the song live. That's what comes into my head. I I know that that's not what it is, but that's what I think. We're pretty sure it's a phallic symbol. We're pretty sure there's some <laughs> some some Freudian stuff going on there. It could um, be. But it could be. Maybe it's not yeah. a Rubik's cube. But my friend also thinks everything is about penises, so it might not be about that. Um, all right, that's a, that's another follow-up question for Barry. Apparently, how about at the at the end, you know, where he talks about how, you know, he's hoping that this song is going to help help him get into her soul. Is there ever a happy ending? to this particular song? I mean, now that we're 15 years removed from this particular uh, album, is there is there a happy ending for this? No. No, okay. <laughs> and, and, and I was just gonna ask, was there ever a sequel written for this? And if so, is it She's Gone? I was gonna say, yeah, there, there are a bunch of sequels over the years. They're all... <laughs> they're all they're all somewhat related but 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 different yeah unfortunately the the silver lining and the happy ending um are just great songs at this point which is a is a bummer you know you want them to you want the the end of the song you want the happy ending yeah and and i've been kind of on a um so full disclosure i've been kind of on a stevie wonder kick and stevie has a lot of like love songs. They're not just like, I'm longing for you. And I hope that I can turn your heart into my love. But it's, you know, there's songs like you are the sunshine of my life, those kind of those kind of songs where it's, he's really celebrating a love. And I think that most bands don't have those kind of songs. They're songs like 
life less ordinary where it's like i'm hoping that maybe the lyrics of this song and me naming you in this is going to change your mind is, is that pretty valid for your catalog because i i don't know if you guys have one of these full-on you know you are the sunshine <laughs> type of type of songs in your catalog no i don't think there is and you know and i think that most of these uh, you know not to put words into barry's mouth but you know i think most of these songs are post relationship or or you know are are looking back as opposed to yeah. like oh if i name you in this song i might you know we're not you know it's it's kind of that ship has sailed at some at some point but he's kind of looking back at it yeah that's valid all right, so second song on the record is What About Everything? Get away and come with me Come away with me and we'll see If I was right on that night That a future was made Before time takes each year Like a knife cuts it clear It's school, then work, and then life That you sharpens the blade I think about time for I think about time for play And I think about being done With no resume With no one left to blame What about fortune and fame? What about your love to obtain? What about the ring? What about, what about everything? What about aeroplanes and what about ships that drank the And I think I know the answer to this because you talked about this previously but the reference of the night when a future was made, was that the American Music Awards that you're referring to? I think so. I'm not 100% positive on that. Gotcha. And are you guys still worried about being done with no resume? I mean, 26 <laughs> years of doing Carbon Leaf and running that as your business, I think that is your resume. I know, I know. I says try, I, you know, it's try to explain to somebody what I do, and you know, I'm like, oh well, I'm a musician, but I'm also a small business owner and yeah, so, social media dude and t-shirt <laughs> salesman and long distance trucker and 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 gear mover. It's like <laughs> I got a bunch of stuff on my resume. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about production for the revisited version. So there seemed to be more emphasis to kind of enunciate the lyrics. Was that a conscious decision to kind of focus on the lyrics and kind of make them more pronounced? On the new version? Yes. Yeah, I, I believe that that was the case for for that, that particular album. He... he Listening back, he wanted a little bit more clarity, he being Barry. So he recorded all the, I think he recorded all of that by himself, basically. We did the, the basic tracks. He was, he, and then he overdubbed it, and he does all of that himself these days. He'll do, he'll do a few tracks, and then I'll come in and help him, you know, edit together the best of, of a couple of takes. But he usually sits there. Um, in the booth driving the computer himself until he's happy with his performance. And I think he wanted to hear more enunciation 
and a little more clarity um, so that it could sit it could sit a little bit better in the mix. And then the other thing production wise on that song that we wanted to change was that it was kind of built around a couple of drum loops on the original album but then after playing it for 10 years live especially having a, a, a killer drummer uh these days it it felt way way better live than than it did on the record and we wanted to capture that the live drum feel so instead of just a drum machine doing the the bulk of the song and then just some fills on live drums so we basically set up three drum kits and mic'd them and processed them three different ways so that they sort of had the effect of drum loops and different sonic textures for different parts of the songs, uh, of song rather, uh, so that, so that it, it changed from verse to chorus to bridge, stuff like that. But it, uh, but still had the groove and the, the humanity of uh, a real drummer. And I'm I'm gonna say this not just because I had Jesse on uh, an early episode about a month ago, but so so my friend that you also met in the the the, the meet and greet, Eric. Um, he has seen you guys. I believe he has seen you seven times. I've I've seen you guys six. Um, when we heard this live, I think we looked at each other and we're like, uh, I think they finally found their drummer because this sounds really good. That would, I think that that was the best that you guys have sounded since, well, since we saw you do the, uh, the kind of the warm up for the rock boat that I referenced with, uh, you know, you guys doing that little medley, but you also had pretty killer drummer for that particular show as well. You, you shared, you shared who that was when we did the, uh, the, the, the meet and greet a couple of months ago. So uh, he was no slouch drummer either for that particular show. No, no. And, and, and they've all been great. So Indian summer revisited has um, Jason Neal on it. And he was with us for, I think, nine years and is a phenomenal drummer. And his, you know, live groove is um, insane. And then we took a little hiatus and then we, we uh, and then he had, uh, you know, some personal stuff going on. And then when, when we went back on the road, we had to find a new drummer. So we, we basically had over the course of a, a year, I think, four drummers. And so when you saw us in Florida, we had a guy named Scott Devours uh, playing with us at that point. And he is the drum understudy for The Who and it is kind of his main gig, as, as well as being Roger Daltrey's um, drummer when Roger plays uh, solo. So he is a monster rock drummer and really good at, at bringing the power and the fun to those tunes um his only maybe his only drawback was that he he doesn't sing and we like everybody to sing in carbon leaf and that's one of the places where jesse is the total package man because jesse uh might be the best singer in the band at this point jesse's our drummer now so not only does he have the groove and the the chops on drums that, that jason did but he also sings amazing um plays 
great guitar, plays some piano, so he has a really good, uh, you know, melodic sense. Um, so not just a, 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 you know, groove drum sense. He uh, approaches songs from a, a melodic chordal standpoint as well. And it, it really is the, 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 the full package with him. So not only is he, you know, an awesome drummer, a phenomenal singer, he's a great dude to hang out with. So it, it, it really helps his, you know, energy and spirit on stage really helps kind of lift everybody else up too. If if uh, the listeners have not gone back and listened to the episode that we did with Jesse, so that one was a lot of fun. We actually revisited. Um, he couldn't he couldn't pick uh, a record. It was too hard for him. So we said, well, here's a list of the the the, the records that we're going to do, and if you want to join us on one of them, cool. So he ended up joining us on Elvis Costello's Armed Forces. So that was a really fun episode to do. And awesome. Jesse is really cool. So, um, and and I'm not just I'm not just saying that because we like Jesse on the on the podcast, but um, you guys sounded really amazing the last time we saw we saw you. Like like, Thanks. yeah yeah yeah. And so that that was the best we've heard you guys in a, a long time. So it's really cool. All right, moving on. Oh, one last question on what about everything? So. Again, this is probably a follow-up to 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 Barry, but um, what about aliens? <laughs> that so, is, that's a good question. Yeah, nah, we're, we'll just leave it there. Um, I would love to hear Barry's thoughts and and you know get his uh, get his ideas about uh, aliens, but we'll leave that for another day. All right, uh, third song on the record is Changeless. What are the odds? What are the odds? This ends and we don't meet again. What are the odds? What are the odds that I will miss your smile? Take a while, take a while, take care and fly away and see the world. of the revisited seemed a little angrier than the first recording of it but the chorus is less angry kind of like i felt as though um where the song is really about you know go find your way you deserve to go know yourself before getting into you know whatever i kind of feel like the 15 years since that song came out that you already knew what the ending was going to look like. <laughs> is it, huh. is that valid? Well, I've never thought about it like that, but I guess it's possible. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, yeah. I, I was so caught up in the sonics of making sure that, you know, the bass had the right distortion on it and the, you know, the bazooki and everything kind of had that, the, those things that, you know, I wasn't paying attention to, I don't know. I guess the nuance of 
of <laughs> the looking back from a uh well we've we've already done this you know i don't know yeah. so so i guess the the question is now that it's 15 years later so what are the odds that uh you don't meet again so is that pretty pretty valid that whoever it was went and embarked on their what i call the drops of jupiter type of journey where it's like um i had to go find myself and it felt as though again that that the the odds were yeah they didn't they didn't meet up again that uh they they moved on i think that's true okay so that's that's kind of the vibe that I got on I it. Think, <laughs> I think that is true. All right. Great song though. Great song. I think if there's I think um you know going back to my co-host comment about the flogging Molly thing. I think in the original if there was ever a pogues moment that you guys had, I would say the chorus in the original version is kind of your your pogues moment where there's a little bit of anger with the uh, with the uh you know take a while take a while you know go go fly away and see the world so there's a little bit of anger there but maybe again i'm i'm reading into this i am apt to do that that's good that's what you're supposed to do as a listener that that's another follow-up question for barry right <laughs> yeah so so how about this is my song so my 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 uh my oldest son and I we were listening to this in the car and he's like so I can't figure this song out and I said I think it's about a bunch of horses is that is that is this song really about horses named luck hope and love no okay <laughs> cuz we cuz we we kind of got this vibe of there is this little bit of you know the horse is trotting you've got your reference to a horseshoe you've got a stable yeah so that's 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 kind of how we interpreted this but what what is this song about well i think that those you know like animal farms not about animals per se i think those are, <laughs> <laughs> you're reading you know those are those are you know hopefully human nature and stuff coming through there not not necessarily equine nature nature I am You know, I I was hoping that that was really a song about horses because then you could have said, well, you know, America, you have a song about a horse with no name. We actually named our horses. <laughs> Anyways, but you guys do something a little differently. I felt as though on the ending of the revisited um, seems a little more defined than the original. Uh, is that is that valid? Oh, I don't know. This is going to sound really weird, but I don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I haven't I, listened. I, I haven't listened it, to the to the to either version 
probably since since we re-recorded it um you know and it's been a few years now so five or six years since the re-recording yeah so i i don't remember how the ending i know how we do it live it, it ends on a vocal a drawn out vocal thing i feel like did we do do we end on a vocal part on the yeah yeah that's good I don't know. I kind of felt like you you guys were kind of going more for more of a Celtic feel with the revisit version, but uh, maybe not. Maybe I think you were just trying to enunciate the the vocals more. Yeah. Well, the, the, this was on um, even on the original. This was our our uh, the only song that had even a hint of of Celticness to it, and it kind of just depends yeah. on how you're. Uh, how you're looking at the song, you know, as I'm playing it as a rhythm guitar player, I'm, I'm hearing the song in, in six, eight, like a, you know, an Irish, you know, kind of a, kind of a thing. And we had a, a friend play Wurlitzer or uh, electric piano on it. And he didn't hear that at all. He counted as a slow, a slow four count, you know, he, he heard the song in four. I hear the song in six, and it just depends on where you're subdividing the beat. And some people hear that a little bit more pronounced and hear that six um, feel, and it, it really has more of a pronounced Celtic feel. And then some people hear just that rock four feel as well. <laughs> so yeah. it just depends on what your ear is picking up there. It's the ear of the beholder, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know that. You know, there's some songs that there's no amb ambiguity at all. You know, it's like, oh, clearly this is a waltz and it's three four, and there's no other way to count it. You know, that that's this song goes back and forth. Well, speaking of ambiguity, that's a good segue to the next song, "Gray Sky Eyes," because. I have absolutely no idea what any of the lyrics mean. And I've been singing this song for years. It's one of my one of my favorites off of the record. But every time that I've talked to another Carbon Leaf fan and said, tell me what this song is about, everybody's like, oh. another is this another question for barry of what what in the hell do your lyrics mean here it is definitely a question for barry i do recall you know doing the demo in our little apartment there in the fan and playing the demos and selecting songs for uh for the album with with dave lowry and and uh and john moran there in the apartment and david looking at carter and saying, oh my God, that guitar part, that's, you have to play that exactly like that, note for note, no, 
we're not going to get in the studio and you're going to rearrange or change. That is the hook. That is the part that lick in the beginning and that kind of recurring theme throughout the song. It's like, we've got to, we got to hit that exactly like it is on the demo. <laughs> so, and then when, when, when we came time to re-record it for the um, Indian summer revisited Carter no longer had that guitar or that amp or whatever he was using, whatever he played through originally on Indian Summer. And it, that song in particular has, you know, a, a very distinct tone. So I remember basically trying out every guitar he had, trying to, it's like, all right, we've got to get it. All right, this is not exactly the same, but I think we're actually better. I think we, <laughs> I think we made the tone even better. So, and, and the revisited, the uh the the organ or Hammond or whatever you guys threw in there as well. I feel like that's a little more pronounced as well. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Yes. So our our friend Butch Taylor, who used to play with uh, the Dave Matthews Band, played on Gray Sky Eyes and played. Uh, I feel like he did a couple of tracks. So I think maybe he did a Hammond track, but he also did a Wurlitzer electric, kind of a swirly electric piano track and maybe regular piano as well. So the, and it was, the idea was to, to sort of pick and choose, but I, I remember it thinking, Oh my God, this is kind of a nice, swirly soup of keys and you you know if you leave it all in particularly on the chorus you know it's like well i know he intended us to pick one but if we leave all three in it really <laughs> it really becomes this you can't really tell what's happening but it's glorious kind of a kind of a yeah. swir swirly wall of sound and I, I know we did that. We left all Butch's tracks in for at least part of the song. You know, some of it comes and goes and we edited, you know, our favorite parts for the verses. But I know at least for some of the songs, all, all three tracks are in. The Revisited is, uh, I think, much better than the original. And uh, luckily you did stay true to the to the guitar lick because that's just super catchy all right so moving on to raise the roof and i will be the first one to admit that i i when i originally listened to the record i did not connect to this song until i really saw you guys do this live that comes from the live version of that. And I think that the revisited 
I think that it really captures more of that live experience more than just the original does. Am I, am I again, overanalyzing that? Uh, probably not, you know, and that, that was, you know, some of the, some of the idea between the revisit, you know, behind the revisited was to, to capture, you know, the flavor and the sounds, but bring some of the live energy, um, that, that playing the songs for 10 years has sort of brought us, you know, it's like, all right, what, you know, there's some, there's a confidence and there's an energy and there's a, uh, and a, a feeling, you know, from the, the live show that we want to impart here and I'm glad glad you're hearing it because raise the roof certainly one of our favorite songs one of my favorite songs and definitely a fun one to play live and it, it, it's funny that barry wrote the words to it it didn't i don't think he even realized that raise the roof was a thing was a phrase <laughs> that uh i believe that the story goes that that they needed more room at their house and as when they were uh when he was a kid and his dad um actually raised the roof on their garage like cut the roof off basically put a second floor on and and raised the roof of the house there you go okay and then we played it. I don't think we played it before it was released. Maybe we did a. Uh, we played it at an elementary school in Richmond as a, like part of uh, an arts and music kind of week thing. And and a school was uh, unveiling their first, you know, this this new auditorium. And we played this song and we played "Raise the Roof" and and three hundred kids started pumping their hands in the air raising the roof and barry's like barry's looking at me like what are these kids doing <laughs> little raising the roof little did he yeah. know they were yeah that it was that was a thing you know it was pretty funny I, yeah i don't because know who I, coined coined it but i know i do remember uh, I, I was a huge seattle supersonics fan back in the day and i do remember gary payton using that raise the roof thing. I don't know if he coined it. I don't think he did, but there, it was somebody in the NBA. I felt that, that, that came up with that. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to do it. <laughs> we'll have to do some research. I'm sure Google will tell us, right? Oh yeah. You know, going back to conversation of Carter, this yep. guitar solo is so good. And how underappreciated is, is carter as a guitarist well you know it's it's funny because he's a he's a phenomenal guitarist and he's a phenomenal uh, musician because it's not just guitar it started out a guitar um and now it's evolved into you know fiddle and banjo and bazooki and mandolin and all these other other things and on raise the roof it's actually a uh an electric mandolin that he's playing it's, yeah. it's it sounds like an electric guitar but it's tuned and played like a mandolin which is pretty that's pretty right. funny that's right so it's it's the little it's the little guy yeah he's and that was a that was a fun song because there's also some really cool in addition to just um the solo he's he's doing some really cool things with uh effects and actually playing the echo and playing you know right different things like that in time with the song which is a lot of fun 
I asked Jesse on his episode, I'm like, how many guitars and other equipment does Carter have? And he was like, way too many. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's like, yeah, most, I, I think he, he indicated to me most of the loading in and loading out is, is Carter's equipment. I can neither confirm nor deny that he is. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next song is Paloma. The absence of your soul. And so it takes some time to get away. And you will have to tear down what remains. And I can't stand by for goodbyes. So hold on to me or leave the way. Paloma, you wonder if you'll miss the thunder and everyone staring. Just spread your wings, latch on to the breeze. Just take the lead, you're free. And where or who is a Paloma? Um, I believe it's a dove, maybe, is a Paloma. But, uh, you know, I think it's, again, about kind of a girl. Um, through the lens that of a dove. Gotcha. Okay. I could be completely wrong. Barry's gonna listen back. He's gonna like, what the hell are you talking about? Do you ever listen to me? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just play guitar. <laughs> the comment that uh, uh, me and a friend, uh, well, my friend uh, that uh, uh, I go to Carbon Leaf shows with, we always joke about the last lyrics because. The, the lyrics are today I watch the greatest thing of all a flock of birds preparing for the fall and we just always say well I guess Barry doesn't really know what bacon is because <laughs> bacon, bacon is the greatest thing of all the greatest thing of all yeah yeah so anyways that's our that's our stupid little uh aside um I don't know I don't this is this is a song that's kind of grown on me over the years this is probably my least favorite song on the on the record i don't and i don't know why tell tell me why i should like this more than i do that's a good question i think it's one of those songs that you um you know certain people really relate to it and really get it and kind of like it it's it's very different rhythmically um yeah. and 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 somewhat sonically again this song um originated i think with the bass part jordan Metis, uh our bass player at the time wrote the song based around the bass part and then everything else was kind of added to that so it has a very kind of propulsive uh bass part so if you're you know some people are really drawn to that and drawn to the words and sucked in and again i think it's one of those songs that has uh changed a lot live so on you know playing it i think the energy is different than the album um all right i don't i don't know i don't know if i just sold you or not on that i was a very 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 poor sales no you 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 didn't and that's and that's okay because now we're getting into a stretch of some of my not only favorites on indian summer but some of my favorite Carbon Leaf songs, period. So moving on to One Prairie Outpost. I've been here since I was a boy. Now my heart 
fear and a mask of painted joy. So much for these youthful eyes to see. So much for peace and tranquility. One prairie outpost, you are how I feel. Alone in a flatland between the dream and the real. The irony, ask me, where have you been? I don't know, I don't know, because I don't know where to begin. And this is really a life on the road sucks type of song is that is that accurate um i don't know that it's supposed to uh, it's definitely a, a song about kind of uh, kind of about being on the road and it was written on our first tour out west the first time we ever got on a bus which was for the uh, american music awards tour leading up to when we won the award we had to do it we did a kind of a national national tour and we hopped on a bus and did a did a drive cross country and barry was inspired kind of as we got out the middle of nowhere uh to write this song but i don't know that it's supposed to you know say that it sucks per se just that it's sort of you know can be lonely out there a little bit a little turn the page uh yeah i don't know if it's as i don't hear it as dark as turn the page you know well, you're listening to the Metallica version, I think, maybe. No, no, I'm a Bob fan. I am a, okay. I'm a, I'm a Bob Seger fan. That saxophone is still it get, so good. It's still, you know, and I'm not a sax fan, but that's like one of the few songs I hear that sax and I get still get goosebumps. Yeah, I, I would I would uh, agree with with you on that. Again, I guess uh, another follow up for for Barry is. Okay, so it's been 15 years since you recorded this. Have you finally found where to begin? <laughs> uh, it's always where you are. That's always where you are. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So the next song after that is Let Your Troubles Roll By. And through each one there's a soul that strives to survive So pay no mind, my sorrow's fine The day is alive and that's why I cry It's a new year, don't scrub your list to conspire The last snake hissed as he was thrown in the fire You've come far and though you're far from the end You don't mind where you are cause you know where you've been Like a culture vulture sprout out on the floor Like a dead devil sailor washed up on the shore got to tell you that uh, when people ask me what are some of the best musical moments that you've that you've encountered so you know certain certain things like um, you know hearing certain songs live you know for for me for instance hearing Pearl Jam sing Black for the very first time was one of those magical musical moments for me 
And I got to tell you, when Delta Ray opened for you guys many moons ago, they joined you on stage to sing a few songs. And this was one of those songs that they sang with you. And that was magical. That was one of those magical musical moments for me. It was really, really cool stuff. Have you, you guys um, done this song with, with other bands as well, helping you out with, uh, with the chorus? I don't think... I don't think that we've done one Perry with any anybody other than Delta Ray. Maybe we've had maybe one or two other people over the last fifteen years, but I I, I think they were kind of it. And and they came to us. We were like, Hey, we'd love to do you know, have you guys up for a song and they looked at each other and they're like, One Prairie Outpost, that was their their pick. They wanted to they wanted to come up and and uh and do that one. They they really liked the song. And to their credit, I I think they also picked a great tune that we were playing on that tour, particularly played super stripped down. And um, it worked really well to have them out on stage and be able to showcase their voices with our voices and, and, and not have it covered in a, in a wall of sound, you know, really, right. let, really let, people shine vocally on that yeah yeah i heard i heard them sing with you guys both one prairie outpost and let your troubles and that was just yeah that was that was that was good stuff so carter is again fantastic in this how often do you guys close your shows with this song this seems like a really good show closer it's a, it, it it is a really good show closer, and you know we we've tried to not have it be a show closer. You put it earlier, and it's weird because you play it, and then it feels like the show's over when you're finished. <laughs> and then, so so it's one of those tricky songs. It's like oh man, how are you gonna follow that? That was the grand finale. So you have to really kind of that's that's one of the places Barry spends a lot of work in in crafting the set list and he keeps a database of every set we've ever played since 2001. Um, And we'll look at like, you know, for, for instance, Tampa, when we saw you, he'll look at the last couple Tampa shows, see what we played so that hopefully we don't end the show with exactly the same songs the same way, you know, we'll, we'll definitely play, you know, those, songs like let your troubles roll by lifeless ordinary what about everything the boxer you know but then we'll mix up the set and then for the rest of the song so maybe there's 10 songs that will will have been the same but then there'll be 10 different songs and then hopefully in a different order so that the set feels different so it doesn't you know feel like you just oh they were here last year and i heard exactly the same songs you know except they played one new one this time you know hopefully like wow this is really different you know (laughs) this is i remember last year being fun but this is really cool and they played a whole bunch of stuff i didn't expect to hear and it was neat right that's cool that he uh he keeps track of all that stuff one of these days going to find its way onto the website or uh you're gonna gonna keep that all to yourself yeah eventually it'll make up you know and i think you can so we used to we used to have a, a set list archive on our old old website on our message board, but I think that has since gone. You mentioned the recording of the uh, 
the live show on USB sticks. So if your listeners don't know, we record every show and then you can buy it on a USB stick at merch about 10 minutes after the show. We also sell them on our websites uh, as uh, on our website as downloads. So um, I forget when we, I think 2014. uh, Yeah. So we don't have them going back that long. But maybe the last five or six years, all of the shows are now on our website, and they all have set lists with them. So you, so even if you, you know, obviously don't want to buy the yeah. all all of 2018, you can skim through the shows and be like, oh, they did play maybe today. This is they played it in Indianapolis, right. and now I can buy that show because there are definitely people that are looking for particular songs or want to hear, you know. Like, oh, I love the Christmas set in Annapolis, but I missed it this year. And, you know, I'm going to buy it, the download of that show or, you know, something like that. They know what they're looking yeah. for. So at least the last several years are on our website. You can look at all those set lists. I wish you wouldn't have told me that you played Maybe Today because now I got to go buy the stick. <laughs> so if nothing else comes out for this uh this episode it's you got more of my money terry winner winner chicken dinner that's what absolutely absolutely so um two more songs on the record when i'm alone back to the, uh, the the tone of the lyrics of life less ordinary um, you know the went from friends to nothing lyric and then the next verse kind of captures that I risked it all and yeah and now I'm alone um, so I guess my question is has singing any of these types of songs worked to win back any hearts for Barry no <laughs> how's that perfect how is That's that a, for a short sweet answer yeah so maybe we need to let him know that you know doing the same thing over and over again is um yeah that's the definition of an insanity right 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 exactly but hey keep keep doing it because it keeps uh keeps turning out some 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 great great tunes so the uh the the Radio turns to gold part. Going back to what you were talking about with the production of Barry singing the various parts in the round for this, I'm assuming though those aren't all Barry parts for that particular uh, production. Is that is that accurate, or should I re-listen to it and see how many of those are Barry? Yeah, it might be mostly Barry. Okay, 
because I have a feeling that the original was mostly Barry, if not all. I think the original record, 90, 90% Barry do it. He, I think he sang all his own harmonies on that record. Okay. I think One Prairie Outpost was the one song that I sang harmonies on, on the original versions. But I know I sang harmonies on most of this stuff, but I have a feeling that particularly with that round robin radio turns to gold thing that in order to achieve the kind of same effect, there might be a bunch more berries in there. The the one last comment that I had for When I'm Alone, I felt like this was also in the revisited version, kind of like Changeless. I felt like the uh, the 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 singing of this didn't quite have the longing feeling like the original recording did. So again, kind of already knowing what the ending to the story is, where it's like, yeah, I'm really alone and I'm not just singing about it, but I really didn't win her back. Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny. As as the guy that kind of was in charge more of the sonics of uh, how how the album sounds and how all the pieces go together, I wasn't really thinking about Barry's uh, state of mind coming across, as, as, but it's a very valid point. And now that I think about it, now that you you, you know mention it, it, it might be some of that, and and due to the fact that he was self-producing himself, so it's just yeah. him, just him singing it to himself until he is happy. And I know that on the original. Uh, Indian Summer, uh, John Morand was very particular at, you know, trying to capture different things and different emotions. And, and he would, he drove the ship as far as doing the punch-ins and, and getting the vocal take to where he was happy. And, you know, and Barry was happy, um, but he was kind of the first line on, on that. So he, it might've been those different set of ears producing the vocals that that that'll you know change the the sentimentality of it yeah all right well that therapy session for barry came free so <laughs> you're you're welcome um no it's still it's still a great song um e even without not having that longing feeling like the original but um i did 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 catch that and then the last song on the record is The Sea. last time i heard that live are you guys still doing that live we've played that a bunch on the last tour too yeah okay. you guys suck <laughs> i did not hear that either i don't think no uh, no but but we definitely played it you know probably five or six times in the last month i feel like is it 
is it going to be on the same thumb drive that I get that has maybe today on it? Well, as we were sitting here talking, I looked at uh, Kent State is when we played uh, maybe today last. Okay. So okay. Kent, Ohio on April 20th. But no, that does not have the C. Oh, yeah, we'll have to have to do some diving to see where when it I'll pops yeah, I'll have to find that. Um, so, again, lyrically, probably a question for Barry, but is this really a song about the sea or is it about dealing with kind of that constant struggle between the good and evil? You know, I, I look at it this this way where, you know, sometimes the sea can be the most beautiful and calm thing in the world, but it can also be the most treacherous and dangerous thing in the world and that's kind of how we are as well as as humans so is it is it really a song about the sea or is it really the 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 human element of of that i think that it's both to be honest with you yeah you know barry's uh from norfolk virginia they're right right on the water and uh, on the water yep and, you know, has a lot of family down in the Outer Banks of North Carolina and spent a lot of time down there. And I think that the, the, the sea itself factors into a lot of his, you know, imagery. But I think that it's, you know, it's also human nature. It's, you know, the embodiment of human nature. But I think that it's definitely supposed to be both. Right. And I'm an idiot because I'm now looking at the Tampa set list. And you guys did play the sea that night. Yeah, nice. Uh, how did I miss that? Maybe I was taking a piss at that time or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I had the thumb drive, so I'm going to re-listen to it. So as far as the revisited version, so that's nearly eight minutes long, but the original is about seven and a half. So what was the what were what was the difference of this? revisited version to to add in an extra you know half a minute that's a good question i don't i don't have any idea what we added <laughs> the the this just became like the the, the live version of it right uh, yeah i mean i think it did i think that uh, literally if it's shorter then we probably didn't even realize it and decide and or maybe we did and then decided well it's not like we're adding a, you know, a, a third verse that people had never heard before. It's just kind right. of str stretching out that guitar solo, that swirly, the seas taking over section in the middle that, that felt like it wanted to be a bit longer anyhow, you know. And if you're going to be, you know, seven and a half minutes, you might as well go for eight. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not like you're in a three minute pop song to begin with and you stretched it to five, you know, it's, right. it's already, it's already the length of two songs. Yeah. So, uh, did, did, did we cover it all? Did we get I, it? I feel like we did. Tell everyone how they can find the happenings of Carbon Leaf and how to purchase said thumb drives of previous uh, live, live music. Well, everything's at carbonleaf.com. And then, of course, we're on all the socials. So, you know, Facebook, 
in Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff too. And we try to keep up with uh, everybody and everything on our social media. So feel free to drop us a line and let us know where you're at, what you want to hear. And we'll, we'll try to get back to you. And potentially some new music coming out later this year or early 2020. Yeah, we're definitely working on stuff. Cool. All right. And you guys are going to be back on the road soon? We've only got a handful of shows for the summer. I think we go up for a long weekend to New England and then have a couple things in, you know, D.C. and Richmond kind of. And then the fall, September, we really hit the road hard again. Okay. And that's and that's when um, I'm I'm. I'm going to force my co-host Wayne to see you in Seattle at one of those three shows. Um, Jesse has already promised him some, some, some tickets. So um, this better be, this better be the time that uh, Wayne gets on the carbon leaf train. So, well, I would vote for the crocodile as he, so he's in Seattle, isn't he? He's, he, he's right outside of Seattle in uh, Puyallup. Yeah, so we have three shows, um, one at the Crocodile and two at uh, Triple Door. Triple Door, good venue as well. Triple Door is a great venue, but it's more of a a seated, uh, I wouldn't say acoustic show, but definitely the tone is different. So it's definitely more uh, rowdy uh, rock show at at the Crocodile. And, and And I love the Triple Door too, but if he's looking for a little bit more in your face and ener- energetic thing than uh, Crocodile's way to go. If he wants to kick back and enjoy dinner and see a great show, then the Triple Door is the way to go. You know, it's like right. they're they're just kind of different vibes. They're they're yeah. both e- equally awesome. One last question that we uh, we ask of everyone, uh, and uh, you can't say Jesse Humphrey as your answer to this. So who do you know that I don't know who would want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records with us? That's a good question. Um, and I can't say Jesse Humphrey. You can't say Jesse because we, we just had him on a month ago. <laughs> that, that's, a good, that's a good sign. Um, well, you should try to get Barry on, um, and that would be good. But he, uh, his schedule is always kind of nuts. We uh we're friends with the red wanting blue guys. Um, I uh okay. Couldn't couldn't speak highly enough about them or Gaelic Storm. You know, having on uh Pat or Twigger from Gaelic Storm or any of the guys from um Red Wanting Blue, because they're they're all music nerds as well. Um, Jesse's uh got a buddy named Dan Mills. That's I guess he's from Rhode Island now. Um, yeah that uh, Dan opened a couple shows for us a few weeks ago and I think is going to be opening more shows for us in uh, the fall. And Dan's fantastic. He would be good on the show as well. And cool. super, fu- super funny. Nice dude. And I know that Dan, Dan's been on Jesse's podcast as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat some more down the, down the, down the road. I miss red wanting uh Red Wanting Blue the last time they were here in Orlando because I was traveling for for work. Well, I have them on my on my my brain because uh, um, bass player John went to high school with their singer Scott Terry, and John was going up to see them. They were in the D.C. area, 
and then uh, last weekend, and John was going up to see him and then hang out uh, with him for a few days. And Scott ended up falling while setting up the stage and breaking his wrist. Whoa. So, so John ended up filling in on ukulele and tenor guitar. So Scott still sang the parts. And and then John, he only played he only plays tenor and, and ukulele on a couple of songs. But John came yeah. on. I just saw the pictures of him in New York City, uh, popped up on my feed today, and I was like, "Good John, look at John <laughs> playing ukulele with red, white, and blue." Awesome. All right. Well, uh, just as a reminder to all of our listeners, we are out there with the hashtag Records Revisited Podcast. Uh, you can check us on Instagram and also Facebook. We do have a Facebook like page. Uh, go check us out. Um, also review us on iTunes. And let's wrap it up. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Visit a record store. And not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited. And we are out. out.